You're listening to the Midlife Mastery Podcast. My name is Peter Fritz, and this show is all about mastering your money, your time, and the best time of your life, your midlife, of course. Welcome back to the Midlife Mastery Podcast, and thanks for listening again. This is episode number 37, so you'll find the corresponding blog post that goes with this at midlifetribe.com slash 37. Each of us has a place where we do our best thinking. For me, it tends to be out on the open road with the days driving ahead of me and preferably a desert somewhere out there on the horizon. I think of the Silver City Highway that leads to Broken Hill and then onward to Tipperborough, finally terminating in one of the most remote towns in Australia called Nakundra. I passed through Nakundra many years ago, which at the time had a population of three, and overnight we swelled that population to 2,000, and then the next day it was back to three again. That was during the Australian Safari back in 86, I think it was. That was an incredible journey. But um, anyway, that's type, that's the environment where I tend to do my best thinking is out on the road with a long drive. But it's also my garage where I retreat for what I call phase two of my work every day at around about 5.30. I sit there at my camp table and I study my mentors. I write and I think. So when I pulled up my little Ikea chair on the first day of this year, my routine was interrupted by the first stirrings of an idea. It occurred to me that nearly all of my mentors were over 40. All of them had helped shape and mould the man I'd become, and they'd been there for me when life tested me, especially a few years ago. I wondered, could I convince these incredible people to share their midlife journey with me? With us, really. I knew my closest mentors, the ones that I'd known for years, would be in, but what about my idols? Following my two o'clock in the morning on the toilet moment in 2015, my life underwent something of a rapid transformation. It was my mentors, many of them newly acquired, who helped me to crawl from the abyss of anxiety and depression that I was stuck in at the time. My situation wasn't really unique, though. I mean, millions share the same struggles every day. I was 47, divorced, remarried, and mortgaged, so I wasn't exactly unique. And despite having what many would deem a good life, I still felt lost and unfulfilled, a wandering generality, stuck in a perpetual routine where much of it really felt pointless. I suspect that you felt the same at some point. It's like we've been running for 20 or 30 years, but never really looked up to see if we're running in the right direction. We set out to scale our mountain, but we miss a few markers along the way because we fail to check our bearings. Then one day we collapse, realising that our mountain has drifted entirely out of view. That was me back in mid-2015, and then I discovered Seth Godin. It was Corbett Barr and Chase Reeves of Fizzle.co who introduced me and all their listeners to this incredible man. I recall... Chase saying that he'd cancelled his subscription to Seth's blog for a while because it was just it was changing his life every day and it was too much. And it's true. Here's what I wrote about Seth's new podcast called Akimbo. Our generation is blessed with a gift and his name is Seth Godin. Bereft of fluff, Seth's insights are concise, thoughtful and irreplicable. To listen to Seth is to have your life changed every single time. I am in awe and so grateful to hear his voice once again. Seth has this way of cutting through a belief or a position or a problem in a way that makes you stand back, hands on hips and say, holy crap, I never thought of it that way before. I've sort of stopped highlighting passages in his books now because it's really pointless. I may as well just paint every page yellow. 
His first podcast, Startup School, had my wife and I listening to each episode at least half a dozen times, possibly long, possibly more. It really is that good. And his new one, Akimbo, is even better. I've given Seth's books to people that I care about. I've shared his interviews via email, and I've quoted his insights countless times. Between his 18 best-selling books, which have been translated into more than 35 languages, uh, his courses, including his much-lauded Alt-MBA, and the two companies that he founded, Yoyodyne, which was acquired by Yahoo in 98, and Squidoo, which was acquired by Hubpages in 2014, Seth Godin has built an impeccable reputation on a global scale. His blog is one of the most popular in the world with over a million readers, and his ideas around the post-industrial revolution, marketing, quitting, leadership, these are all referenced and revered by changemakers the world over. His achievements are so broad, it's almost impossible for me to do justice to them here. But getting back to that epiphany that I had at the start of 2018, I knew if I could convince half a dozen people to share their thoughts on midlife, I could then approach someone of Seth's calibre. He might still reject me or worse, ignore me, but at least I'd have a shot. There were many times over the years that I wanted to reach out to Seth and thank him for the work that he put together, the things that were changing my life. But um, people like Seth are incredibly busy and the last thing they need is to hear from another fanboy who gushes at all the great work that they've done. I'm sure people like Seth hear this every single day. Plus, I saw him uh, interviewed on Marie Forleo's show and I remember her asking him about email and any tips that he might have regarding email and his tip was don't email Seth Godin <laughs> so with that message ringing in my ears the last thing I wanted to do <clears throat> was to bother Seth Godin um, I believe that I really didn't have any business reaching out to him until I'd really done my best work for at least a year or more so it was kind of serendipitous that um at the beginning of this year, I just completed a hundred long form posts and was um, uh, coming up to my second full year of writing every week. So I approached top New York writer Laura Belgrade to help finalise the questions for my idea. Uh, Laura has been a successful writer for decades now and is the chief go-to person for Marie Folio when it comes to writing engaging copy for her business. So um, anyway, the plan was to start with my local mentors and then with overseas allies until finally, eventually, I would ask Seth about this idea of mine. But then I remember the word kamiwaza. It means to be godlike with no wasted motion, to act with absolute confidence and even hubris. It's a term of Japanese origin that Seth used in his seminal book, The Icarus Deception. And it occurred to me that I'd used it all the time while I was growing up, but I'd somehow allowed the events of the last decade to silence it. I decided to embrace it once again. I ditched the original plan and I spent three hours writing a letter to Seth about my idea for midlife mentors. Incredibly, a day later he responded. Understandably, I was thrilled and honoured and humbled, but I wasn't surprised, both because of the person that I believed him to be and the position from which I'd asked. I knew that my intentions were pure, and I believed in what I sought to achieve. In that instant, I went from 99% committed to all in. There was no turning back from that point. Seth wrote a beautiful book called What to Do When It's Your Turn, and as the title might suggest, this post that you're reading or this podcast episode that you're listening to represents a single manifestation of what that book teaches, to do my best work, even though it may not work. And so I'm absolutely delighted to present this original perspective on midlife 
thanks to my hero, Seth Godin. I just wish I could mimic Seth's voice, but uh, sadly, that will have to wait for another time. So the first question is this. Do you consider yourself middle-aged, and how do you feel about this moniker? It's possible to reframe this. I've definitely discovered that there are countless things I can't or won't do anymore. The roller skis got put away forever last year. I'll spare you the rest of the list. But I've also found that there are countless things that I can do now. Places where I can have leverage. Contributions I can make. So, yes, very much a shift. But I don't think age is the best way to formulate it. Is there something that you loved to do when you were young that you've since discovered or rediscovered and embraced in later years? I'd like to say it's playing bass guitar. However, I never used to know how to play it and I still don't. Instead, I'm working harder than ever at embracing and supporting important causes, coaching non-profit leaders to help them make a bigger ruckus. My parents taught me this and it's an incredible privilege to do it. Do you believe middle age, say 40 to 65, is different today than it was for your parents? And if so, how? Without a doubt, there's been a seismic shift in our attitudes and our physical health. Not only do people live longer, they live longer more reliably. We've shifted our illnesses as well. The downside, at least for now, is that the end of life sucks more than it ever did. Sudden death is an outcome we don't give out as easily as we used to. What was the most challenging aspect of approaching middle age? What fears or concerns did you have? Our culture isn't particularly good at endings. The last episode of Seinfeld, the end of the Harry Potter series, the lame duck president. If we focus too much on that, we end up taking our eyes away from right here and right now. At the end of each year, I list the habits, practices and beliefs that I'm going to say yes to and no to next year. As a mentor to other midlifers, what would be some of your yeses and nos? Whatever list works for anyone who makes a list. <laughs> Typical Seth Godin response. What's a tactic that you've used to gain more control over your life? I don't watch TV and I don't go to meetings. I've read Annie Duke's amazing book called Thinking in Bets. And that, combined with the lessons in the old MBA, have helped me become ever more focused on doing work that matters. What's a limiting belief that you've abandoned or reframed in the last 12 months? I'm a bit more patient with myself when it comes to the thrilling. I'm not nearly as interested in being thrilled by sports or drama or anything else than I used to be. What is your dominant cause of anxiety or frustration, and how do you deal with it? Anxiety, for most of us, is experiencing failure in advance, and it's a habit. Like all habits, you can focus on something else if you choose. Frustration? As people who have seen my This Is Broken talk on TED know, bad design frustrates me every day. That and the willingness each of us has to accept a bit less. Did you suffer a midlife crisis? How did it show up for you and what helped you overcome it? Everyone does. And it's never particularly unique. But our response to it, instead of our reaction to it, is up to us. What book would you recommend to a person over 40 who wants to reinvent their life and why? 
The Art of Possibility by Ben and Roz Zander. I won't pitch it any harder than you need to read this book. A little aside from me, I purchased and read this book immediately after Seth's recommendation, and it's hard to argue. It's a revelation, and it may well become an annual read for me. Many midlifers who write to me say that they feel lost, unfulfilled, and shackled by circumstance, even though they're often of their own making. What advice would you offer them? How is that feeling helping you? If it's not helping you, what feeling could you replace it with? What advice would you give to a midlifer who believes they're stuck on a certain path and should just accept it? Stuck is a choice. Not merely the external stuck, but our narrative of stuck. Change the narrative first. It's easier. And our final question. Can you think of a way that you've surprised yourself at an age where many people feel set in their ways? Lots of things are difficult. They've been difficult ever since we learned to walk. But doing difficult things that are important is the essence of contribution and achievement, isn't it? Seth talks a lot about the lizard brain, that prehistoric lump called the amygdala. It controls our emotional response to stimuli and is responsible for much of our fears, anger, doubts and delays. It's what prevents us from knuckling down and doing what we said we'd do. It dilutes our best work and it tends to turn everything vanilla. Stephen Pressfield in The War of Art calls it the resistance. I've learned many things from Seth but this is one of the most profound. It's that we each have the capacity for great work, to do our art, and to be of service if we can just quiet the lizard brain. Because the more we do it, the more often we approach life with kamiwaza, the better we get at it. And then with humility and grace, we can become who we're meant to be and make our own little dent in the universe. Thank you, Seth. It's been a great privilege to have Seth Godin as a contributor to the Midlife Mentor series. If you'd like to learn more about Seth, just go to sethgodin.com or type Seth into Google and learn more about his books, his talks, his courses, his podcast, and his interviews. Also, if you go to midlifetribe.com slash 37, you can read the corresponding blog post that goes with this episode, and you'll find a couple of extra details there about Seth as well, including a wonderful interview that he did with Marie Forleo not long ago, one of my favorite interviews that she's done, one of the favorite interviews that he's done. Also, if you don't already have a copy, just go to midlifetribe.com slash 15ideas, and you can download for free my beautiful 60-page guide on Mastering Your Midlife. As the title suggests, it contains 15 different ideas on Mastering Your Midlife. Thanks for joining me this week. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. And until next time, here's to Mastering Your Midlife. Bye-bye.